And once you get that kernel of success going on a first initiative, it's a little bit like the snowball effect. You get confidence, you can start to scale the team, you start to scale the capabilities, you start to move, we use things like design thinking and agile ways of working, you start to extend these. And over time, what you're doing is you're not just transforming capability within one part of the organization, actually you're transforming the capability and the culture of the whole of the organization. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon in San Francisco, California, actually my first trip to California at the IBM Think Conference with my guest, Luke Niazi, Global Managing Director of Chemicals and Petroleum Industries at IBM. How are you? Oh, very well. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So before I get into it, I wanted to please ask the audience to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated, and you get a shout-out on the show. Luke, how did you get started in the oil and gas industry? Well, that's a quite a long journey, Paige. I mean, what I started after graduating, I actually started in air traffic control. Oh, wow. Uh, I worked in designing and building air traffic control systems. And from there, I spent some time in doing an MBA. And I saw these guys and girls coming up to lecture in, in the classrooms, and they were called consultants. And I thought, well, I can do that. So I actually joined consulting. And in, in, in those days, it was mid-90s, and there was a lot of energy restructuring going on right. in electricity and the utilities market. So I actually started in electricity and market restructuring. I did that for about seven years. And then from there, I went into the oil and gas industry. Excellent. What made you do that? Well, I've always been interested in, generally interested in big problem solving and trying to make big systems more effective and more efficient. And so, you know, if you can make electricity and gas and water more effective for countries and, you know, states, then I thought, well, let's tackle something bigger. And of course, you know, the oil and gas companies and the oil and gas industry is a global industry. So I wanted to try my hand at that. Get a little challenge. (laughs) Yeah, a little little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So speaking of challenges, what what are some of the things you've had to really go through and, and, and take in mm. during that time? Well, I mean, I, I first started working in oil and gas properly in about 2004, 2005. Okay. So that was, you know, almost, four, <laughs> almost 14 years ago, but it was a boom time. You know, the, the price of oil was, you know, $100 plus plus, you know, so yeah. it, was, it was good times and people were able to invest a lot in transforming the way that they were operating. And I, in that time, started to work with Shell when they were globalizing their downstream business with a view to making their offers and services and products more integrated globally for their most important customers. Mm-hmm. There was a program called Downstream One that, that was sponsored in the those days by the CEO of Downstream, Rob Routes. And so I spent a lot of time in that in in the B2B and the retail and the manufacturer supply and distribution parts of the downstream businesses and also the chemicals business. And it was great because it was a, it was a massive transformation, truly global in nature, probably one of the largest. And I, I learned a lot in those days. 
And over that time, then I went into different parts of the oil and gas business. I went into the trading side of the business and then into the upstream as well. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what you are doing now with IBM. Mm -hmm. So I've been running the chemicals and petroleum industry. That's the entire value chain since about August 2016. Okay. So I've been doing it for about two and a half years Pretty fresh. Pretty fresh. But I I was coming in from a period outside. My, my, My job before that, I was running our communication sector in Europe, telco, media, and entertainment, and utilities. Okay. Right, okay. And, you know, I came in, and I came in, of course, in an industry that was pretty much in a very difficult inflection point. It had been kind of, you know, three years since it kind of hit rock bottom, Yeah. if you kind of think about it. You know, 420,000 skilled professionals have left the industry, the price being at kind of, depending on where you were, but about $40 a barrel. Yeah. So... So, the, you know, the industry was in immense, immense pressure. And in a way, my team and my business were kind of, in a way, floundering, you know, in the, right. con- in the context of, you know, a difficult market environment. And so, you know, the first thing that like, we had to do is we had to kind of figure out what is it that we needed to really do to help our clients kind of survive and thrive in this very challenging agenda. And so we... You know, personally did a bit of introspection and reflection and discussion, but we worked away through a strategy that was about how could oil and gas companies drive themselves to the new levels of efficiency and operations and innovation that was kind of on the cusp of having potential with all of this digital innovation that was occurring. So how could we try to work that through? And that's what we started to do. I can share more of that in a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, so, I mean... I think what's fascinating is there's so much disruption going on in the world and there's so much technology that's occurring right now. And half of the challenge is trying to make it apply in the most effective areas. So people talk about cloud and they talk about the Internet of Things and they talk about AI. and they A talk, bunch of buzzwords. They talk about blockchain, you know, and all yeah. of these things. They talk about, you know, AR, VR. You know, what, what is the practical application of all of that in the context of an oil and gas company, whether you're in the upstream, you know, midstream, downstream, or, or in the chemicals business? And so you know, what we try to do is work out how could you make exploration and production more effective? Right. You know, how could you make manufacturing and supply chain more effective? How could you make the consumer experience more effective? So we really got into the core of the business processes and what could be done differently to make them effective. And so we repositioned our focus on... I think a strength that IBM can play to, which is kind of fusing together our industry knowledge, our services knowledge, technology knowledge, and our research knowledge to try to bring innovation into those activities. And we've been really doubling down on pretty advanced stuff, actually, and I'll talk about it in a while, but you know, we've been doing a lot of work in AI as it applies to the oil and gas industry, as an example, and the results have been really, really quite amazing in terms of what we can achieve as a result of that. But it's, it's a journey whereby we've repositioned ourselves and we've been repositioning IBM with our clients as a result of that. And they, they kind of now they're looking at us and thinking, crikey, you, you guys are, you know, we've always been an integrator, right? But you are an innovator in terms of what you're, you're bringing to us. And right, because what... back in the day, everybody just thought of you about, because of computers. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, and now it's completely different and yeah. it's a game changer. Yeah, it is, it absolutely yeah. yeah. Can we actually talk about how, how it is a game changer? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, I mean, look, I think everyone's getting familiar with AI because it's a topic that's used a lot. Uh, and we all already see it in our everyday lives, right? We have 
AI going on in the background when we are searching for holidays or right. looking for purchases on the web. You know, there's AI going on in the background when you interact with your phone and your whatever household conversational system that you have. You know, depending on whether it's an Alexa or whatever, you, you, you're seeing some form of AI. The reality is, is that that stuff is pretty superficial. You know, it's kind of interpretive search connected to a voice system. What we're talking about is the deep application of AI to understand things like geology, things like chemistry, things like engineering and science and production. And so when, we, when you're doing that, you need to be able to have an AI that understands the language of those subjects. Right. So, so the, the kind of the easy analogy to think about at this page is that you will have heard that we were able to teach our AI systems medicine. Yeah, you right. would have heard about you know, Watson learning medicine, being able to, and it's, it's a really clear example, and I'll kind of share it with you. You know, if you happen to have, you know, uh, someone in your family who's had cancer, you know, they have to have treatment and, you know, support from oncologists, right? And right. Your, your case is looked at by a group of experts, you know, at whatever hospital that you're, you're being served by. There are 8 million pieces of research each year published on cancer treatment. It's physically and humanly impossible for any group of specialists, 8 to 10 people looking at a case, to be on top of that 8 million pieces of research and being able to give you the insight of best advice as a result of that research. Well, I know a system that can ingest 8 million pieces of research and understand its medical content and offer advice to those experts. It's called you know, Watson right. for Health. And so if you think about that and the ability to ingest and understand and comprehend complex medical documentation, and also, by the way, the oncology images, the scans that you get, and the images that you get from you know, the various uh, x-rays and treatments that you have to have, if you can teach an AI system that, which we, we did, that's the, one of the first challenges that we started on, well, then for sure you can apply those concepts to the problems of looking for oil more effectively in geological constructs. You can apply it to looking at all of the engineering and chemical documentation that you've got or all the special reports and finding new patterns and insights. You can interact with AI in a way that a geologist or a chemist or an engineer would. Yeah? Yeah. So, so what we started to do is we started to kind of bring those techniques across to the, the core of the oil and gas industry. That's pretty amazing. And it's, and it's, so difficult to really wrap your head around that it's mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of information and a lot of data and like you said it's it's not anything one human much less m- several humans can could even mm-hmm. touch mm-hmm. so that that's really amazing yeah did you want to elaborate a little bit more yeah I, I can tell I can, well, I would, yeah, come on with yeah, it yeah i mean I, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you more about it so so i mean so i think everyone kind of kind of gets the analogy that i just described and you, you may have seen also, the technology kind of beat the contestants in the game of Jeopardy, right? But that's, right. that was about ingesting massive amount of information in real time and being able to interact and respond. So but because of that, we, we got a pretty fast start back in 2013 on a whole range of companies that wanted to experiment with AI in different parts of the use cases. And you know everything from, as I said, you know, exploration, subsurface analysis, production optimization, even through to the consumer side of the process, what products does a chemistry, chemical company want to make? But the reality was is that, you know, and I was you know, blessed by having over 30 or so projects around the world, but there was, wasn't a standard pattern 
that was evolving. And so therefore, every single one of them was effectively a, a custom kind of outcome. And so what we did is we did a lot of work to reverse engineer that. We looked at all of these use cases. We found the repeatable patterns. We found where the greatest value was. And we re-engineered them in a standard way so that we could start to offer them globally. And so now we're much more able to make these AI capabilities as a series, as a almost a, f- a family of oil and gas and chemical advisors and capabilities to different parts of the value chain. And they're readily available and deployable. And of course, where we're now going to is the opportunity to not just solve individual parts of the process, but start to integrate all of those parts of the process to start to optimize the system or the system of systems. And that's that's really where it's kind of going. And in fact, you know, at the IBM conference here in San Francisco, there are some clients of ours that are talking at Think about applying AI to the end-to-end production optimization of big plants and fields. And that's, that's, that's the coming together of some of the things that I'm talking about. Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. What have been some of the challenges for you hmm. in this space? Yeah. So, so I think the, first of all, getting everybody level set on the completeness of the vision, right? Right. Because there's, a, there's, there's tons of experimentation going on. And if you were to search on the, on the web, there's thousands of companies that are experimenting on pieces of AI. And, you know, that, that experimentation is fantastic. And I, you know, I very much admire and support it. But the, you know, the problem solving of optimizing the energy system and the end-to-end oil system is a, it's national, it's a global problem. And the engineering complexity that you're dealing with is not just point initiatives, it's really very complex integrated processes. And so oil and gas companies have always been good at thinking about big picture engineering and big picture experimentation. But also, I think that they had a little bit of introspection in this negative period and felt that they didn't have the skills with which to be able to innovate. They needed to kind of have a startup or invest in startups because that's the way I was going to find my path through this. But, but we are, we're talking about deep process and organizational-wide change. And as much as you'd like to think it might come from a startup or a, kind of an Uber-type company, it's unlikely right yeah so actually what we had to do is we had to get over some skepticism about how a oil and gas company was going to truly innovate end to end and also there was a there was skepticism about whether it could actually deliver results in, right. the, in the way that people are talking about and you know I, I i'm a firm believer that you shouldn't oversell you should never oversell you know, sell what you can deliver yeah deliver what you sell right right I think that there was under lack of confidence and under kind of representation of what was achievable and actually not enough enterprise-wide thinking about how you stitch together this capability across you know, very complex processes. It always happens when you prove the results. So when you prove that you've got a big production facility with 100,000 data points ingesting data across multiple processes and the AI optimization for the production is giving a better outcome than the 30-year experts who are operating the plant can predict, then you start to get people excited. Yeah. When, when, when you say that actually in the geological construct where you've drilled down a vertical that and they're going for a particular area of oil, that they've missed areas that could be horizontally dr- dr- drilled fairly cost-effectively to get even more out, right. and you show it and they go and do it, 
then and you, then it happens. Then it happens, and of course, you know, you're you're driving decisions that are out adding millions and tens of millions to the bottom line. Yeah, and then then people start to get kind of really understanding of the, the potential of this and that, and, and I think we're we're on the point of the tipping point. Yeah, that's that's exciting, and, and it's gonna. I'm excited to see what the future holds. Mm, I mean, mm. I mean, I mean the, other, the other challenge, of course, is the skills agenda. Yeah. Because you're moving people. There's always this concern with, with AI as a topic, whether you're taking jobs away. Yeah. Yeah, that's always an issue. But that's not the case at all. No. It's just the, the title's kind of changing. Yeah, exactly. What is it, data analyst? Or? Da- data scientist. Da- yeah, 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 data sci- yeah, scientist. Yeah. yeah. So the way, the way that uh, another term that we often use is AI isn't artificial intelligence. We call it augmented intelligence. Oh, I like that. And so it's about making these scarce skilled resources. And back to the point that I was making earlier about how many skilled workers we've lost from the industry, actually, you need to be able to get the knowledge from those skilled workers and augment them and make them more effective. And once you start to show that, actually, they can become the strongest advocates. So there is a complex change journey because you're changing the nature of people's skills. You're combining these deep engineering and, and chemical and, and geological skills with big data science skills. And so you do need a multidisciplinary skill capability. Yeah. But, but actually what you're doing is you're making them more effective with their expert time. Yeah. And, and actually you get, therefore, not resistant, you get pull. Yeah, yeah, efficiency. Everybody needs a little time management efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> so how about the integration of people in oil and gas into IBM? How, how did that mm. really pan out? Because you speak two different languages. Yeah, yeah. Well, remember, of course, that, I mean, everyone knows IBM as a tech company. Right. Because it's a very famous tech company. We, you know, we are, we're the company that helped the computing that put the man on the moon, right? Right, you know, so, yeah. And of course, we've built, you know, various kind of era and game changing technology changes throughout history. And so but you, you get you get branded as a tech company. But from the point of the acquisition of PricewaterhouseCoopers in 2003, you know, we already had a big services company, but then we made it a very big services company. So, you know, over the 390,000 employees that IBM has, over 200,000 are services professionals. So services professionals who are used to working in an industry context. So you know, people a little bit like me who are, you know, understand the problems that a client is trying to achieve, you know, not necessarily as deep as a client, but able to understand that. And then right. to be able to connect that to the capabilities of, you know, our organization and their business problems. So that in a way is easier because, you know, we're not just a tech company, we're a tech and services company. Right. But actually, you have to have deep expertise in your business as well. So within my team, I have a you know, global center of excellence in oil and gas and chemicals. And we have, you know, many very experienced, you know, engineers and chemical engineers on that team people who've you know built and run refineries as an example right. and of course combined with that ibm has a very deep research capability we have over three thousand researchers in 12 la- 12 labs around the world and those researchers do research in pretty much everything from chemistry and metallurgy and food also to natural resources etc and so even within that we've got I'm blessed with having over 
75 PhDs who happen to specialize in the natural resources industry. For about five seconds, I kind of thought you were talking about yourself. I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) how have you been able to fit all this? No, 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 people, people. People, people. (laughs) I'm honored. (laughs) But but, but therefore, what you're doing is you're infusing services capability with tech. And you're leveraging deep expertise that you have from not just the services side of the business, but also the research part of our company too. That's so neat, and it's yeah. and it's. I know it's incredibly. It's a, it's so much more complicated than than. And you're explaining it so well. So I really hope everybody yeah. really gets something out of this and and sees yeah. exactly at IBM as a service company. Yeah. Well, I, I think you know. So my my you know back to the audience a little bit. So in terms of how do you drive the next level of innovation in you know the, the, these oil and gas business processes? It's about that multidisciplinary way of problem solving. So you're not trying to just do it in the way that you've always have done it. You ha- you are fusing deep industry skills with you know, deep engineering and data science skills, and with deep tech skills and with deep research skills. And so, and it's that combination that is finding these new opportunities to really go after. And, you know, I do think that, you know, where we're collaborating well on this with our clients, it's a very powerful, powerful formula to kind of drive very deep change. Excellent. Excellent. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? On this digital topic or? Uh, Either or. It could be on a a professional level Mm -hmm. as far as your career goes, or it could also be... Yeah, well, so, so I, I think I mean we, we talked about about AI a lot. It's not the only thing that's going on, you know, in the industry to make a big difference. So, so the question is, is you know, how do you nurture a new capability to drive very substantial change in an industry that is has always innovated, but is also kind of used to doing big projects and big things, you know, ramping up big in a big way, doing big engineering. And then having to, you know, change and ram down, and then when things get tough, so you know, and we're of course talking about a very different way of working. We're talking about an agile way of working, and we're talking about a kind of a digital way of working, you know, more like the startups and the, and other tech companies. And so, my my main piece of advice is that you you need to start somewhere, right, with this journey. Not all companies are on the. Everyone will say that they have got a digital strategy. The very kind of the, the rate of pace of progress is definitely accelerating over the last two and a half years that I've been you know, privileged to do this kind of work. But the question is, is how do you start? And, and the way you start, I think, is by starting on something that is important to you, but it's also focused in its scope. Therefore, therefore, you start small and you put a small multidisciplinary team on it and you take appropriate support and advice from people who've been around doing it before. And once you get that kernel of success going on a first initiative, it's a little bit like the snowball effect. You get confidence, you can start to scale the team, you start to scale the capabilities, you start to move, we use things like design thinking and agile ways of working, you start to extend these. And over time, what you're doing is you're not just transforming capability within one part of the organization, actually you're transforming the capability and the culture of the whole of the organization. Yeah. So, but, but you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and you've got to get some successes and momentum off the back of that. But once you've got that, it starts to elaborate. So, so kind of be focused, start small, multidisciplined would be my first piece of advice. That's excellent. What book would you say influenced you the most? Uh, <laughs> so I was thinking a little bit of that because I saw yeah, kind of your question there. 
when I was a kid, it was sci-fi, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, now you're speaking my language. Uh, so, so, <laughs> and so there were, there were a couple of books that were kind of influential. One was a kind of funny sci-fi. It was Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. That, that, was, a, that was a great couple of books. And, of course, back in the early, late 70s, early 80s, there was also a show in the UK. So, you know, I, I very much enjoyed that and I liked his sense of humour. But it was also a philosophical, there was some philosophical things going on in that book. So that was pretty good. But also the first big book set that I actually read, I remember kind of reading one and then having to read another and read another, was the Dune series by Frank Herbert. So this was a kind of a sand world story. It's, it's kind of Dune and then there's many different books of there. But that, that, those were the kind of first two sets of books that kind of had quite a big influence when I was a teenager. And then I would say after that, I quite like kind of kind of philosophical writing a little bit. So Robert Piercing's The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance as well was a big kind of book that I uh, found interesting. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I like I like all of those answers. Those are great. And there'll be actually there'll be links to those in our show notes for, okay. so people can okay. also check them out. Sure. What would you say is your, I mean I, I'm talking to someone from IBM. What is your most used business tool? I mean that that's that's got to be kind of difficult, right? Yeah, so my our most my most used business tool. You know what? I, I mean, it's going it's to sound bizarre, but but it's the power of communication. Yeah, you know because we have so much. Yeah, you know if you if you if you have a chance to go down there and look at what's going on, it's just mind blowing. Yes, how much tech, how much innovation that's going on there. The ability to help people understand all of that in a clear way as it solves their particular business problem or their particular business issue, in a way, it's all about the clarity of you know, how you explain it and how you mobilize a client's organization and your organization to get there, to get the right, right outcome. And so I, I actually think that a lot of what I do as a business leader is about kind of helping people understand pretty complex things in as straightforward a way as possible. So, so the power of communication is a big, big part of that, I think. Yeah, and you're very effective. You've, I've, I've learned a little bit here. <laughs> just here. I've, I've actually learned a lot just by going to the conference yesterday and trying to take all of that in. It's yeah. just so much, and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, of course, when you're at, the, at that kind of conference, there's lots, of, there's lots of interviews and other things going on and lots of client meetings going on while yeah. you're there. But I, I, when I'm not you know, with clients, I'm trying really hard to just go and absorb it all, go and look at the booths, go and listen to the various discussions that are going on in the breakout sessions because it's just so much to absorb. Yeah, but yeah, you, and then it's like you have to make choices about which sessions you want to go to because it could be across, yeah. you know, to at a different hotel. And yeah, it's just like yeah, yeah, there 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 is a lot. So you've got to have a, a bit a bit of a scheduling mindset. But there's just so, there's just so much going on. But it's it's really cool actually, and you know I think. I'm generally really proud in terms of you know what we've got going on there because it's it's there's a, there's so much whether it's I've talked about AI a lot but but also you know we're in an era whereby the way technology is coming together has changed a lot right because not everything is within the company's capability a lot of it is outside now provided through the cloud but when you're trying to solve those problems you're not dealing with just one cloud you're dealing with multiple clouds so how do you start to orchestrate all of these applications that are in different clouds with also the applications and capability that you've got in your enterprise it's a big integration problem no kidding yeah. so so therefore you know in the 
80s and 90s, people had to put middleware in technology to connect things together. Yeah. yeah. And, and now what we're dealing with is, of course, the, middle, the middleware era of the cloud. Yeah. yeah. And so people talk about hybrid cloud strategies and cloud object brokerage and all that kind of stuff. It sounds complex, but it's, when you think about it, it's pretty logical. When, you're, yeah, it is. when, you, when your applications are no longer on a, a physical piece of hardware in your office, they might be somewhere in the cloud with somebody else's, you've still got to be able to integrate them with other capabilities. And so, so things like hybrid cloud and cloud object brokerage start to become really important capabilities, putting in containers, they call it Kubernetes containers, so that you can move workloads around. It it's becomes really important. So a, lot of the, so a lot of the kind of, wow, this is kind of blowing my mind stuff, is all about actually how you're delivering business outcomes and process outcomes with technology, but in a world where the capabilities are not necessarily coming from within the enterprise, they're coming from everywhere. And that drives a kind of a new level of innovation and complexity, but also you've got to be really thoughtful about how you're bringing it together. Hence Think Conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Think is a really good word for it all. It it really is. And you don't have to name who it is, but who would you say is your most respected competitor? So, I, I mean, we're a big company, right? Right, so and you so, kind so, of live in a lot of places. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So, therefore, you know, the range of organizations that I, you know, work with and compete with cover a, a broad spectrum. So, you know, in terms of the big tech companies, of course, you know, you have the Microsofts and the Googles and the Amazons of this world. They have their vari- various strengths. Those, those are big tech competitors. In the, you know, in the services organization, probably our strongest competitor is the Accentures of this world. Gotcha. But also, you know, we do a lot of design work. So we also compete with, you know, design organizations. So actually, the nature of who we compete with is quite broad, but they're all, you know, A-class organizations. They're right at the top of their organization and capabilities. But equally... For many of our clients, we're also collaborating with those organizations. I was and actually going to ask. Yeah, yeah, we're collaborating with those organizations in different ways. So, so you know, we it's a it's a cooperation environment, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, but those are I would say probably uh, I named the four big ones there. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's all the big ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're different. I mean, I, if I was to if I was to narrow it down to one or two. I would say Accenture on the services side and Microsoft on the technology side. Excellent, excellent. What's your most important lesson learned? Well, so I'm a really big believer in the power of people. And so, you know, to treat everyone who who you meet kind of with respect and integrity, support them and do good things for them and they'll end up doing good things with you and for you. So, so I I think it's uh, it's all about truly people and and empowering people. And I'm a big believer of ground-up innovation. So, you know, you can, you, can, you can say, you can give clarity and direction from a leadership perspective by giving clarity in priorities and clarity in strategy and clarity in terms of how you want to differentiate. That, that provides a framework. But actually, the innovation and the progress happens when everybody gets it. So, so working with and treating everybody, you know, as, as a single team, as your equal and getting that ground-up innovation, that, that's the thing that I, th- I think makes... I often talk about to my team about building an army, you know, and you know, how do you build an army of transformation? And it's that just being natural and respectful to folk and that, that I think gets the right outcomes. I actually agree with you 110% on that. Very good. What's your favorite podcast? <laughs> I, I was embarrassed. <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts very much. You know, I, um, 
on I'm on the road or in in a plane so much when, when I'm traveling I don't tend to listen to podcasts yeah and I tend to read or watch catch up on film on my prime TV. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I don't blame you too much, which is actually funny you say that because IBM is the sponsor of Oil and Gas This Week, our number one oil and gas podcast in the world. And I just think that's really funny. Yeah, yeah no, I, I know. Then Darius Petrowski, who is my AI leader, is a really big advocate of your podcast. And I know my team are. And I'm delighted that you have me on, on the podcast. Yeah, but absolutely. I, but I, and, and, but and, and I have to confess, I've I've not listened to them before. It's okay. You're not the first person on here that <laughs> said that. So <laughs> no worries. So thank you so much for joining me today. If people want to reach out to you and get to know more about what IBM is doing in the oil and gas industry, how can they go about doing that? Really easy, actually. Just just look at IBM Industries online and go and look at you know the oil and gas or the chemicals pages. You'll, you'll find a lot about that. And we'll put links in the show notes yeah, for everybody. Yeah, and you know, you'll know you find us a lot on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. I so, figured, and I'll put your profile out there too as well. Perfect. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. 